Somebody smile. See your pearly whites. I think I've told y'all this before. Half of mine are fake. Um, if you can't tell, they are half of them are are, are a little fake. Um, that's my uh, admission for this morning. Thought you're gonna get out of me. Um, but tell somebody. Tell them you love them. Don't say it if you don't mean it. Let me just tell you. Don't say it. Don't say it if you don't mean it. Amen. I'm excited about what God is going to do here today. If you have your Bibles and you want to stand, you can go ahead and get your Bibles out. We're going to start from Matthew, the book of Matthew. And again, while you're turning there, if you are a guest, I want to say welcome to the church today on behalf of our pastor. He's not here today, but you certainly owe it to yourself to come back and hear him preach. We have the best pastor in all of, I believe, I don't know if you can call it pastor, dumb, or if you can call it of all pastors that have ever pastored. I believe we have the greatest pastor ever. And I'm honored again that uh, I'm able to stand behind this pulpit uh, and teach to you guys this morning. I give honor to him and to his family. But we are at Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start a very popular uh, parable. Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount here. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 24. Jesus says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and all that stuff beat up or beat upon that house, and it fell not, because or for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone, contrasting the first verse in 24, contrasting that, and everyone that hears these sayings of mine and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the same rain descended, and floods came, and the winds blew, and they also beat upon that house. And that house fell, and great was the fall of it. Amen. Would you bow your heads this morning and pray with me, Lord? God, I pray and I thank you for, God, this day. God, I, I am, God, going to rejoice and be glad in it. And I pray, Lord, would you speak to us today from your word, God? Would you challenge us, God, to grow? Challenge us, God, to really dig into your word this morning, God, so that, God, we can be like this wise man, Lord, who built his house upon the rock. God, I don't want to be foolish, God, and build it upon the sand. But help us today, God, to build the right foundation in the word of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. If you haven't figured it out, this morning I'd like to teach on the foundation of the word. Foundation of the word. And so before we jump into the details, the nitty-gritty of the lesson this morning, I gotta pose some questions to everybody. Show of hands, how many of you got a place to live? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Is it a house? Anybody got a house in here? How many uh apartments people got? Raise your hand. Condos, anybody? Vistas, mansions, anybody? 
Come on now. That's right. Come on. One day I'm going to have a mansion in glory. Got my name on it. Lord's making it just for me. Amen. 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 Come on now. So how many of you would say of your castle, Brother Paulo, how many of you would say you have an adequate understanding of the foundation of that castle? Anybody? I know we got some builders in here, some experts on the subject. I am not. I'm going to let you know that right now. I'm not an expert. I'm not. And that's okay. Maybe you're like me. At some point, you didn't have an idea at all how the foundation of your home was made. You didn't understand how it was put together. You've got a house, but you don't care about what's underneath of that house. All right? And for the sake of that particular discussion question that I posed, it's okay if you don't have an idea. My question now is this, how confident are you in the foundation of your homes? How confident are you? Is that home of yours still going to stand 100 years from now? Is it? Or, or you, like some folks, when it rains, you're like, oh, ah, let me go look at this leak over here. I don't know. The wind blows and you're like, man, that sound, them windows, I don't know how much further this thing can last. How many of you have an old home? It makes some sounds. It creaks and it has those places in the middle of the night you know to step around, right? It's okay. So I'm talking about the confidence in your foundation. And if you don't know, the foundation or a foundation, here's, here's all I got from, from Google right here. A foundation is the lowest part of the building or the structure that is in direct contact with the soil. The purpose of that foundation is to transfer the load from the structure of the home to the soil safely. All my experts, I said that right. Did I? There we go. Thank you. I got, I got a head nod from Brother Temple over there. Generally, foundations can be classified into two different categories, so to speak. One is really a shallow foundation, and others are a deeper or a deep foundation. A shallow foundation, as you can imagine, transfers the load to a shallow depth, whereas a deep foundation transfers the load to a deeper depth below the surface of the ground. You can imagine a tall building like a skyscraper. If it's constructed on, most likely it is because you got to dig deep with a deep foundation for that skyscraper. But in most cases, the soil can't handle the height and weight of that skyscraper. So that's why you got to dig deep. If the constructed building has the plan or a plan to somehow extend even more vertical in the future, then a deep foundation is suggested. You know, I know, and most of y'all probably also know, because you live in a home like I do, houses settle over time, right? We got our home, our first home we had constructed, and we moved into it, and we were only in it for under 10 years. And in that short time span, we had cracks in the walls. And we had, you know, kind of, I don't know what you call them, stress, stress cracks, whatever, I don't know. We've had Issues where we noticed the house was settling in one part of the house, whereas the other part of the house looked a little bit more normal. 
Um, you know, most foundations, if they're poor foundations, it's likely that over time they're going to have a lot of problems. How many of you have ever seen something with a poor foundation? How many of you have ever tried to build something and you realize what you were building had a poor foundation, right? When I was a child, I did childish things. <laughs> but my friend, he has a construction company now, Lord bless his heart. When we were kids, we always wanted to build a treehouse. And I don't know how. One day we built this treehouse and we stayed in it. I don't know how the Lord had to be on our side because the trees we anchored that treehouse to were about the size of my forearm. And we had four of us up in that tree house, and we slept overnight more than once. And I remember sometimes the wind would blow, and the whole treehouse would just be rocking and rolling. And somehow somebody fell out the treehouse too, and they didn't get hurt, thank the Lord. But my friend, when we would have an issue or something would break, he would just find another tree and just add another piece of wood, like, now that I look back on it, clearly God had his hand on my life because some of these trees would become like broken over from the wind and they'd just be stumps and we'd just be sleeping right there. And if we would fall out, that's an injury waiting to happen, but God had his hand on us. But I've been to some cool places with some, now that I've been there, like Japan, for example, Japan is always a wonder to me. It's a small nation packed together with millions of people. And the buildings in Japan are so cool. They're small, but they get a lot of people in them. But the interesting thing when I go to Japan sometimes is I don't even notice it. But earthquakes happen very frequently, all the time. Being on the Pacific Rim of the world, earthquakes happen. And I remember the first time I was there and the whole hotel I was in was just shaking. And I'm like, I'm about to die. I know it. I got to evacuate out of here in a hurry. It was like 2 a.m. I remember telling my wife about it. She was like, oh, yeah, I heard about it. And then another country got hit with a tsunami due to the earthquake or something like that. And I was like, babe, you would not understand. The whole, the whole hotel was shaking. And I remember going out of my room, walking outside to, to get to safety, and it was all of us Americans that were outside. The Japanese folks were like, this is every day. We built our homes with this in mind, so we're not worried about when earthquakes and things like that come. That's just how they built it. They were confident in their foundations. And the last kind of funny thing or maybe interesting thing I'll talk about in regards to foundations is one of the coolest things ever, if you've never had a chance to experience it, my job, I get to go around and get on all the Navy's aircraft carriers. Huge, gigantic ships, right? One of the coolest things ever is to watch an aircraft carrier go into a dry dock. Anybody know what a dry dock is? It's basically a dock, as you can imagine. You go into it, they close a door and, and shut the ship in, water and all, and then they drain all the water out so that it's a dry place to work. Okay, that's what a dry dock is. But I've been there and I've stood underneath of an aircraft carrier at the bottom of this, you know, 80-foot drop into the ground, and just staring up at it is just amazing to see. But even for these massive Navy ships, when they come into a dry dock, they also have to sit on a foundation. They put blocks. They put these massive cement structures that won't crack or, or break 
underneath the ship to support it when it's in dry dock. If the ship was on the ground or if it be, were to become grounded within the dry dock, then it would cause irreparable damage. And I remember seven or eight years ago, uh, me and a coworker of mine, we went down to Virginia. In Norfolk, they have a carrier dry dock. They actually have two of them. But in Norfolk, uh, I don't remember if I was on the Roosevelt or the Truman. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But we were coming from this safety briefing. You have to go to a safety briefing every time you go to a shipyard. And in the safety briefing, they tell you about all the things you're not supposed to do because it's dangerous to be in this work environment. And every shipyard has the same crazy lame video from 20 years ago. And so we came out of the safety video, and we're walking towards the ship. And literally, we're just like from here to the road out there. That's as far as we are from the ship. And we both looked at each other, and all of a sudden, every car alarm around us began to beep. And we're like, we just looked at each other. And immediately, we're like, we realize what's happening. We're under an earthquake right now. It was in Virginia. I don't know if you guys remember the earthquake that happened years and years ago. So we're out there, we're looking at each other, and then all of a sudden we feel the after effects of what's going on. Cars begin to shake, bobble around us. And uh, we looked at each other and we're like, what do we do? We sat, we talked for about five minutes. We debated what we should do because should we continue to the ship or should we just turn around and go back home because I don't want to be in a shipyard when an, when an earthquake is going on. Well, literally, the decision was made for us because in about two minutes' time, the alarm in the uh, shipyard began to go off. And literally, like roaches, when you turn on a light, every ship within the shipyard that was in dry dock, people were running for their life. You can imagine if a huge aircraft carrier just tips over just a little bit, that whole thing is going to come crashing down. And you got thousands of workers on that thing. Once they realized that the earthquake had happened, boy, even Navy personnel that are supposed to be standing watch were running. I'm like, okay, well, the earthquake's over now. It's been about five, ten minutes, but they were still running to get off that ship because at any moment, the foundation could have shifted and caused everything to fall down. Many of us here are familiar with the Tower of Pisa, right? Or as most of us would call it, the leaning Tower of Pisa because it leans. And that structure was constructed over 840 years ago. It's crazy to think about. But due to what was going on when it was constructed, there was war happening. So the workers were one day at war, the next day working. One day at war, the next day working. So over time, when they were building the foundation, you can imagine it was never properly done in the first place. It had a shallow foundation when it should have had a deep one. And so now... At 186 feet high, experts still say that the structure will one day continue to fall. It's inevitable, really. They've done all these counterbalance things to keep it up. But one day it will fall because its foundation can't support it. And the last little example I'll give, has anybody ever heard of the Millennium Tower in San Francisco? Anybody? Got one. Thank you, Tyler. But the Millennium Tower was first opened, it was built, constructed, it was first opened in 2008, and it was opened with grand expectations. 58 stories tall, 645 feet tall. Inside, you had panoramic views of San Francisco Bay. 40 multi-million dollar condos were built into this massive tower. Inside, the tower had every amenity you can think of. 
and for it was for the upper echelon of the folks in, in San Francisco. Inside the building was an indoor pool, a fitness center, a theater, a wine cellar, and a full concierge service. If you needed groceries, just make a call. They were going to be delivered to your room. It was reported that in the first five weeks of them opening up bids for people to move into the building, that condo sold off the shelf from $1.6 million to $10 million in value in the first five weeks alone when this tower opened up. The building had everything you can imagine except a solid foundation. Beginning in 2015, just seven years after it first opened, the tower began to sink. And by 2018, just 10 years after allowing its first occupant, the tower had settled 17 inches deep, and it tilted one direction in 14 inches. That's a lot for a massive tower. And even after now being declared safe for occupancy still, after some specialists analyzed things, you can imagine the owners that bought those multi-million dollar condos, they left in droves. Over 100 condos sold in 2017 at an average loss of $320,000. Think about that. Why would people leave? Well, the answer is simple, right? It didn't seem like it was safe to live in. But were the accommodations of the building still not luxurious? They still had every amenity, right? The truth is, every consideration for comfort of the owners it still was there. They could still have whatever they wanted, but the deficiency was that this massive structure didn't have the confidence of its occupants due to what they couldn't see under the ground, and that was the foundation. And so how many understand it's just like us in our life, right? We all have a foundation, whether you know it or not. Every one of us, we have a foundation. And it's usually... We build that foundation out of the public eye. Nobody else watches you build your foundation but the Lord. I don't get to watch you build your foundation. Maybe I can say, hey, you're, look, you're building something great over there. But I don't know because I can't see below the surface of what's going on in your life. And the truth is, we can have all the glamorous accessories to show everyone how good our building is. But none of that matters if the foundation isn't right, right? If our foundation is secure, then none of the storms of life, which they do come, can unsettle us, right? If we have a, a poor foundation, then sooner or later, the life that happens, the storms of life that come against us, sooner or later, our life is going to begin to sink into disrepair, and it's going to tilt away from an upright, eternal, spiritual standpoint that we need to have. So the question is, what provides the right foundation for successful living? Upon what should we build our lives on? What can give us unshakable, unsinking footing in a world of uncertainty and insecurity? And the answer is not a complex one. We all know it. It's very simple. The answer is... The word of God. In order to establish a right foundation, we must live in obedience to the unchanging word of God. Looking back to Matthew chapter 7, 
Jesus, again, is given this sermon on the mount in the context in which he's talking about this topic of building a foundation. He starts this off, if you read through the sermon, he talks about, right before he makes these statements, he talks about making it to heaven. How many want to make it to heaven? We all want to make it to heaven. We all want to walk streets of gold. If you don't want to walk streets of gold, something's wrong with you. I want to go to a place where there's no crime, where there's no dying, where there's no sickness, where there's no pain. And that's what heaven is going to be like. All of us should want to go there. But the, the premise of leading up to the words we read this morning is Jesus is telling them, if you don't want to make it to heaven, then none of what I'm going to say is going to matter to you. First bit. If you don't want to make it to heaven, then you need to disregard what I'm saying because it really doesn't apply to you in the first place. But if you do want to make it to heaven, then you need to listen to these words. And in verse 24 of Matthew 7, that's where he starts. He says, therefore, meaning if you're going to heed my words, therefore, listen. Jesus says, whosoever, meaning everyone who hears what I have to say, everyone who hears these sayings of mine, everyone who hears the logos, the word of God, the teachings of the Bible, the doctrines in the Bible, the instruction of the Bible. Everyone who hears those things and then does those things, they put the word of God into action. They obey what the word of God says. Jesus calls them wise. They are thoughtful. If you look into that word wise, they are thoughtful. They're the ones Jesus says, they're the intelligent ones. The ones that obey what I say, they're the ones that I'm going to say are wise. I'm going to say they're intelligent. They're the ones who are really mindful of heaven. They're more than just talk. They, they do the actions to back it up is what Jesus is saying. And if you go beyond hearing the word and becoming a doer of the word, then you will build up, Jesus says, a house on the right foundation. That's how you're going to establish a foundation that won't fall. You won't have to worry about the storms that come in your life. Yeah, they're going to be hard. Yeah, you're not going to be able to ignore them. But you'll make it through them if you just obey what I say in my word. And on the contrary to that, Jesus says for the folks who don't become doers of the word, they still hear what I say. They still come to church on Sunday. They still, you know, read their Bible every now and then to hear what the word says. But if they... If they hear it and they don't apply it, they don't put it into practice, they hear it, but for whatever reason they choose to forsake it or maybe it's uncomfortable, they don't want to obey it. Jesus says they're making a foolish decision. And the word that is actually used here is translated as impious or they're considered godless. And here's another translation we don't like to say in the word of God, but in the Hebrew, it's kind of broken down this way. Jesus calls them stupid. That's strong language. I don't like to use that word in church. I don't want anyone calling me stupid. But Jesus says, he's pointing out this person will end up looking like a fool if they don't do what I ask them to do. And the truth is, when you are just a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word, you're building your life on opinions. You're building your life on the voices of other things in your life. And those things are an ever-moving 
foundation. They're sand. You can put it in your hand and watch it evaporate or just fall out of your hands because you can't grasp onto those things. One day it's going to be this thing. The next day it's going to be that thing. What fad is in fashion? You know, what's the trending thing of the day? It's kind of like listening and doing everything off of social media or the Internet. The Internet said it's good, so I'm going to do it. No, that's not the best of things to do, right? What they are building, if they are full, cannot stand against the weight of what life will bring their way. And no matter what level of effort they continue to put into building such a structure on such a poor foundation, eventually there's going to become a point where the weight of what's happening around us will get to the point that the foundation can't hold the weight that's upon it. It won't last, and it will fall. And I don't know about you this morning, but I want to build my house on the solid rock. Anybody? I want to build my house on what's solid, what will never change. I want to build what, I, what my family and I dwell on. I want to build that place on a solid and sure foundation. Amen? I'm going to transition a little bit, but I don't know about anyone else, but as I grow older, and I know it's a weird thing to say, but as I grow older, I really come to appreciate and reverence the word of God more and more. I wish I had had such an appreciation when I was, you know, at a much earlier age, when I didn't have to learn life's lessons, you know, the hard way. If I wasn't so hard-headed, if I would have just Listen to the word of God, I would have had a much uh, easier time handling the challenges that life brought my way. I wouldn't have had as many headaches and personal struggles had I simply heeded or listened to what the word of God says. But it's okay. When you're young, you want to do things your own way, right? You, you want to forge your own path. But if we just pay attention, the path's already been forwarded for us, right? And I know we're focusing on the foundation and really the wisdom and stableness of the word. But I do want to point out to us that there's so much more in store for every believer of God if we would just trust what the word of God says. If you would just trust what the word of God says. You don't need to question it, right? Isaiah 40 in chapter 8 says that the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. 1 Peter 1 and 25 says, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. And Matthew 24 and verse 35 says, heaven and earth, Jesus said, shall pass away. But my word, the logos, shall not pass away. And there really, I could dwell right here all morning, but I don't have the time. There's so much more I can say on just how God's word endures. I can point to John chapter 1 and 1. In the beginning was what? The Word, right? And the Word was with God and the Word was God. From the very beginning of time, the Word existed. Guess what's going to be at the end of time? The Word is still going to be there. The same Word, right? I could go back and talk about how it was the Word of God that was challenged in the Garden of Eden. What did the serpent you know, deceive Eve of, did she really know what the word of God says? And we find out that she had actually misconstrued a few words in the word of God. And how many know your adversary, he knows what the word says. He's going to challenge if you know what the word of God says. 
there's so many benefits to us when we do know the word of God, right? How many know the word of God is a weapon? Again, I don't have, I'm going off my notes for a moment real quick, but the Bible talks about we have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, right? We can go on and on and talk about the benefits of the word of God, but I'd like to just point out when Jesus was tempted, right, in the desert by the adversary, what did he use? He used the word of God. And the truth is, and probably the same is for you, because I know it is for me, but the word of God will never let us down. If you need advice on anything in life, I guarantee you the answer is found in the word of God. You just got to dig and find it. The Bible has also never let me down or never led me down a wrong path, right? The word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If I've got a decision in life I need to make, the word of God will illuminate the correct decision I need to take. I can go on and on that this word, this Bible we hold on to, it is truth. And the word of God is life and the word of God is light. But if we're talking about a foundation in which we can build our habitation on, I'd like to also kind of highlight these qualities of the word. The first is that the word of God never changes. It's not going to change from one thing today and be something else tomorrow. The God we serve is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God is also obedient to his word. He's faithful to his word. If he says something in his word, he's not going to change his mind on it because God is faithful to his word. Another point I could talk about and I already mentioned is that the word of God never fails. It never fails. And then obviously I mentioned it, but it guides us and it steers us when we need to get back on our way. And so for the last half of what I want to talk about this morning, I want to go off of a story in scripture, and uh, this is a, an eye-opening story when I, when I was studying it, and in, in my opinion, it's somewhat of a sad story as well, but the ending of it is, is the good part, because that's the part we're going to kind of focus on today, but I want us to kind of look at this story, and I hope that this story can be an example for every one of us to understand how important it is that God's word must be the foundation upon which we build our lives. And so 2 Chronicles chapter 34 deals with this story. And I want to focus on three different characters this morning. The first character is Josiah. The next character is called Shaphan or Shapan. I don't know how to say his name. S-H-A-P-H-A-N. Shaphan. Let's call it that. The last person goes by the name of Hilkiah. Hilkiah. And as we read this story, I want us to look at what these three men do in response to the word of God. All right. Second Chronicles chapter 34 tells us that Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. And the Bible says, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And walked in the ways of David, his father. And he declined or he didn't turn to the right hand or the left. 
For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. So there's a little bit to unpack right here in this story. Um, And I'm going to kind of make some references as we go along. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole account in 2 Chronicles 34, but just look at the high points. And so when Josiah turns eight, he is made king, okay, king of Judah. The Bible infers to us that little Josiah, I hope my son, who is also named Josiah, little Josiah would become a good king, walking in the ways of David, his father. But hold on a second. If you look into this story, King David isn't Josiah's father. Chapter 33 of 2 Chronicles tells us that a man named Amon was Josiah's father. And going back further, his great or his grandfather, sorry, was named Manasseh. And both of those men were evil in the eyes of God. Manasseh specifically, he had a list of many wicked deeds, including all manner of worshiping other idols, sacrificing children to other gods, extreme violence, and also blasphemy or blaspheming the word of God. So within these short eight years of Josiah's life before becoming king, his grandfather Manasseh passes away, and he watches for two years as his father Amon becomes king, and then Amon, after two years of becoming king, is murdered by his own servants within his own home. That's a lot for an eight-year-old to see. Any child that would have to witness that in any manner of context, whether he's seen it or he heard about it, now he's being made king. That's a hard thing for any child to take. And the Bible says that the people of the land are the ones who made the decision to make Josiah king, and the people of the land killed those who had killed his father. So do any of you think you you could become the president of the United States at age eight? Some of y'all are like, well, maybe the president is acting like an eight-year-old. But let's let's just say, uh, could you become the president at eight? All right? Could you make the tough decisions that they got to make at eight years old? That's, I don't know if we could. I know my, my daughter, seven, she ain't ready. She can barely take care of her guinea pig, let alone if she was in charge of something else. That I, I just can't imagine. But that's just a lot of pressure and responsibility to put on an eight-year-old. But anyway, the Bible tells us he did turn out to be a good king. So in verse 3, he's 16 years old now. That's when Josiah, now as he's growing into a young adult, Josiah decides to Seek after the Lord. And later on, now that he's 20 years old in verse 3, he makes the decision to do away with the filthiness that both his grandfather and father allowed to happen within the kingdom. So now let's jump to the the, the interesting and maybe the sad portion of this story. Verse 8 says this. 2 Chronicles 34 verse 8 says, Now in the 18th year of his reign, when he had finally purged the land and the house of God talking there, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Maaseah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Jehoaz, 
the recorder to repair the house of the Lord his God. And when they came to Hilkiah, this is one of the people we're going to focus on, the high priest, they delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites that kept the doors had gathered of the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim and all the remnant of Israel and all of Judah and Benjamin, and they returned to Jerusalem. We're going to skip to verse 14 now. It says, and when they, these, these men of God, specifically Shaphan, when they had brought out the money that was in the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest, he found a book of the law of the Lord given, or what many theologians say, written by the hand of Moses. And Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah delivered the book to Shaphan. We have a transferring of ownership here. He hands this book to Shaphan. So Shaphan carries the book to the king in verse 16. And he brought king word saying, all that was committed to thy servants, they do it. And Shaphan tells the king, and they have gathered together the money that was found in the house of the Lord. And they have delivered this money to the hand of the overseers and to the hand of the workmen. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest, hey, he has given me a book. And then Shaphan reads this book before the king. And it came to pass when King Josiah had heard the words of the law, he rent his clothes. A whole lot to unpack, but I'm going to try to do it in a hurry. It's although, or all right, I guess I should say, and where we started there, 18 years into his reign, Josiah is now 26 years old. The kingdom has been set back into order. And in this time, Josiah notes that the house of God has fallen into disrepair due to the wicked things that had took place earlier under his father and grandfather's reign. So now he wants to restore the house of God because, remember, he's trying to seek out God. He's trying to get everything back on the right path. He's doing the best that he can do. You guys understand that. Accordingly, he orders both the religious and civil authorities to start immediate repairs on the house of God. And to fund those efforts, they go to the high priest, Hilkiah, to produce the funds that they had collected through the taxes imposed upon the inhabitants of Judah. So now we find Hilkiah. He goes into the treasury to receive these funds. And inside the treasury, he makes a startling discovery. He finds the book of the law. Many Scholars or theologians say that this was likely the Torah that he found. He probably found the book of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. He found it amongst all the other items in the treasury. So I don't know if you've been keeping track as I'm detailing this story. But in my opinion, in my opinion what happens right here is a tragedy. It's so sad to think about what takes place in right here, and let's start with exhibit one, Hilkiah the priest. He is actually the high priest. How in the world does the high priest and the highest authority of the temple just by happenstance find the Bible? How does he by happenstance find, oh, let me dust that off right there. Oh, my goodness, this is the book of Deuteronomy. He is the high priest. 
How does a man of such, I don't know, responsibility lose the book of the law in the house of God? How? The fact that a document as significant as this one had been lost among the other items in the treasury only testifies to the lack of regard in the, in the or I should say the lack of regard for the spiritual things in the hearts of the people during this time. I can understand now how the previous kings were wicked because the high priest, he don't even understand or know where the Bible is. He lost the word of God. It's easy to see now if the ministers of that time, the high priest, weren't speaking the word for those other kings to hear, then it's easy to see how these kings could have disregarded anything that had to do with God. And I was discussing this yesterday with my mom, and she brought up a great question. How could Hilkiah become the high priest without not only knowing what the Bible said, but also not even knowing where to find it? Can you imagine if our pastor just, what does the word of God say? I don't know. Well, can you look it up and find it? I don't even know where it's at. Can you imagine a pastor being that way? None of us could, right? How could Hilkiah the high priest know what to do to do his job? How could he even know he was doing his job correctly? What was the high priest's foundation built upon if he had lost the word of God? That's the first sad tragedy. So next, let's look at Shaphan the scribe. Shaphan was told directly now by the high priest what he had found. I don't know if he just didn't recognize it when the high priest said, hey, I found the book of the law written by Moses. But now when it's given over to Shaphan the scribe, in order for him to protect it en route to the king, we can see by Shaphan's response that he didn't consider the book of the law important. And the reason why this particular detail and where I can say I can make this justification is when you look at Shaphan's occupation. Second Chronicles 34 and verse 15 tells us that Shaphan was a scribe. In biblical times, scribes were in demand. They were people that you wanted. Because the scribes were the ones who prepared the copies of Israel's sacred literature on the scrolls that it was written on. Many, many scribes of that time, they devoted their life to preserving and copying what the word of God said. In other words, now that this man had a book, he had the Bible in his hand, it was the man's job to know what was written in it. He should have been over the moon that he had found such a treasure in his hands that it had been lost. But we see when Shaphan gets to the king, all he has to say is that Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. Shaphan may not have despised the word of God, but he had not yet, like many of the other scribes probably would have done at the time, realized the importance of what he had in his hands. The Bible tells us that the high priest, he identified the book, but it was the scribe and the servant, Shaphan, that actually did turn out to get to actually read the book before the king. And it's funny that 
before he tells the king that I found the book, he tells the king about the money. Before he tells the king about the word of God, he tells the king about the job that the overseers accomplished. Before he told the king about the word of God, he tells them about the workmen that are working on the temple. He, he puts all that stuff before the word of God. And lastly, we come to Josiah. If anything, Josiah's reaction to the word of God being found should be the reaction that we want to copy and apply to our lives. Upon hearing the record of God's word, Josiah rent his clothes. This was a common cultural expression of dismay. He was upset, grieved, probably shameful of what he was hearing because the contrast between what he heard of how his nation, now that he's responsible for this kingdom, how his nation should be living and how his nation actually was living, there was a massive disparity in what the word of God was telling him. And Hilkiah, the high priest, if I could summarize him, he never made an effort to even hear the word of God. He just found the book on the corner and says, hey, this is written by Moses. He hands it off to the next person. He was a hearer of the word, but you would think being a, a high priest, he would also be a doer of the word, but we didn't see that out of him. Right? Shaphan, he heard about it. Now that it's put in his hands, but he never makes a, a, a decision to seek or pursue further what is in his hands. Everything else in his life, the money and the job that he was given and making sure the workmen were doing the job in the house of the Lord, that was more important to him than what he had in his hands. And so if we want to build the right foundation, then we must be like Josiah, not just hear the word, but to obey the word. For many of us, the push into doing the word of God is conviction. Conviction is one of the greatest friends a child of God can have. Now, I want to state conviction is different from condemnation. I have to add that if you feel condemnation when you read the word of God, understand that doesn't come from God at all. God doesn't give condemnation, right? Therefore, there is therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible says. God doesn't condemn people, but he does convict people. And the word conviction, it really just means convincing. When one is convinced of the truth of the word of God, and they begin to see the gap between what the word of God says they should live and the reality of their life, there should be some type of pull on, on our hearts to be drawn to change by what we are witnessing. The submitted child of God will be driven to make substantive changes in our lives in order to reflect more properly the values and principles found in God's word. And that's exactly what Josiah ends up doing. After recognizing how far off the foundation the people of God had drifted, he starts to rebuild and obey what the word of God says. Second Chronicles 34 and verse 30 through 33, it says, And Josiah the king, he went up into the house of the Lord, and all the men of Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests and the Levites, all the people, great and small. Once Josiah read the word of God, he gathered everybody. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant that was found in the house of the Lord. 
And then Josiah stood in his place and he made a covenant before the Lord. He decided to walk after the Lord and keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant which were written in this book. And he caused all that were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand to it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And Josiah took away all the abominations out of all the countries that pertain to the children of Israel. And he made all that were present in Israel to serve, even to serve the Lord their God. And all his days they departed not from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. When we depart from the secure foundation of what's in the word of God, many of times we need a voice to direct us to get back on course. And that voice comes out of the word of God. We need the word of God to speak to us on a daily basis. And whether that word is framed through the lips of our pastor or a friend that is in prayer, or whether the Holy Ghost tells you through conviction, right, we need to listen to that voice. The vehicle through which the word of God speaks is not as vital, though, to the response that we have when the word of God is spoken in our life. We go back to Matthew chapter 7. It's not that you hear what the word of God says. It's that you do what the word of God says. Right? Any Christian who desires to please the Lord and serve him faithfully will manifest that desire through a humble response to the voice in Scripture. James instructs us in James 1 and 21 to receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save our souls. Would you stand with me as I come to a close today? Many of us undoubtedly stand where Josiah did on that day. In fact, all of us, to one degree or another, find ourselves in that place. We're routinely confronted with the reality that there is a gap between what the Bible says we should be living and the reality of where we're living. Spiritual growth should mean that the distance between those two gets shorter and shorter and narrower and narrower. But as long as we live as a resident on this earth that God made, living in this flesh, there's always going to be a gap there. But how we respond to being confronted by the word of God is paramount to our long-term spiritual survival. It's our obedience to the word that will determine if our house will remain standing when the storms of life come our way. When we observe a lack of obedience to the word of God in our life, we must mirror King Josiah's willingness to repent and change if we are to grow and rebuild that foundation. Often this means renewing old commitments that have fallen, casualties of misguided practices and fleshly desires. At other times it means making a new commitment to yield to what God's word has just recently spoken to you. But the truth is we must repair the broken foundation and rebuild our lives on God's word and God's word alone. As we finish, I want to read one more passage of scripture, and that is Deuteronomy chapter 6. Many of you know that as a church this year, our vision from pastor is that we are a strong family of believers who exist to build other strong families, right? 
But how can we be a strong family if our foundation isn't right? How can you call yourself strong if your foundation is poor? And so the vision for this year came straight out of Deuteronomy 6 and 4. And just like Josiah found the book of Deuteronomy, I just want us to read it one more time. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. And so how many of us or how many of you will join with me in standing on the word of God as our foundation? Amen. There's no other foundation we can have in this world but the foundation that's rooted in the word of God. A return to a strong foundation as families and as a church. Would you bow your heads with me this morning as we close? Lord, I thank you for your word, God, this morning. And I hope, God, like you challenged me, God, that you challenged someone else here. God, it would be a shame to be like Hilkiah, God, doing our best in the house of God, but we don't even know where the word of God is, God. We don't even know where, God, in Scripture to find, God, the things that we need to find. And, Lord, I pray, God, turn our ears, God. Help us to be more than just hearers of the word, God. I don't want to be a person with itching ears, God, but I want to be one that obeys what your word says, God. Help me get beyond this flesh, God, and do the hard things. Help me dig into that foundation, God. Help me dig so deep until I find what's solid in this word of God. God, strip away, God, my opinions. Strip away, God, my feelings and how I feel on certain things, God. And help me to be willing and humble to submit to what your word of God says, Lord. And I pray help all of us today, God, to stand and rebuild the foundation that we find on the word of God. If you're willing to do that, would you clap your hands to the Lord as we close in Jesus' name.